coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. Innovation is everything in every industry today and not to stand flat footed, you know, to kind of use a basketball analogy with John Wooden said, you know, just never stay flat footed, always keep your feet moving. Do you want to learn the tricks the top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help. Lead to Succeed picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to episode 21 of Lead to Succeed. This episode's interesting fact is, in New York, it is legal requirement for a seller to disclose if a property under inspection is believed to be haunted by ghosts. Our guest today knows all about real estate investing in New York and elsewhere, though I doubt he has ever had to make such a disclosure. Our guest today is Brian Harper. Brian Harper is the chief executive officer of Rouse Properties, a real estate investment company based out of New York City. Rouse currently has a portfolio which consists of over 24 million square feet of shopping centers across 22 states in the U.S. Prior to serving as CEO, he held the position of chief operating officer, as well as the executive vice president of leasing and acquisitions. Before his time at Rouse, Mr. Harper was previously the senior vice president of leasing for GGP, where he was employed for five years. While employed at GGP, he oversaw the leasing efforts of a $2 billion multi-state portfolio. In 2017, Brian was named a national board of directors of Autism Speaks, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping and supporting individuals with autism and their families. Brian, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's an impressive bio. We're going to have to unpack that quite a bit. But obviously, you work in the real estate market, and we're riding, as we as we record this in the end of December 2017, uh, we're riding a high, certainly at least as it relates to the equities market. And I think in general, the economy has done very well recently. But as you know, the market is prone to ups and downs. So tell me a little bit about your biggest business-related challenge that you've had to deal with and how you overcame it. Hmm. So in 2012, uh, really in 2011, I, as well as two other people, were tasked to take a group of assets and form business plans around those assets and basically form a company to help take it public. This is when I was at General Growth at the time. And we had uh, roughly, you know, call it 32 centers at the time uh, in this portfolio of about 21 million square feet. And it went, you know, from three people, you know, around a coffee table to coming up with business plans for each and every asset to talking with the lenders on why this business plan will work and basically to say, you know, let dad off the hook and trust the son. You know, but that entitled went from three to 350 people. And during 2011, having basically two jobs, one at GGP and one assigned to help create this company. It was quite the task. And I would say 99.9% of the people thought I would fail and were thought I was crazy for leaving a secure job, if you will, in, in general growth. And the only two people that did not think I was crazy was the current CEO of general growth and uh, my wife. At first, it was a Jerry Maguire moment where you know I was leaving with the goldfish and no one came. But it really went around, traveled around the country, hiring some great talent for more of what will be an entrepreneurial uh, mindset company. Today, what is 350 people and, and recently privatized two years ago. So January 12, 2012 
we went public and had a, a great run, five years of being public. And Brookfield, our largest shareholder at 34%, decided to take us private almost two years ago. Wow, that's quite quite the story there. But I, I, I picked something up just in passing. You talked about those couple of people that believed in you when everybody else thought you were crazy. Mm-hmm. So tell us tell us what that did for you, Brian, in those moments of self-doubt when the world at large seemed to be, I don't know if I'd say against you, but at least not believing in what you believed. How did that support sort of rally you moving forward and, and perhaps not even including them, just your own sense of what was right, your own inner sense of, of fortitude and self-belief? Because, you know, Lead to Succeed Nation, as they're you know, processing as we're all processing this conversation and, and your story, I think we all grapple with self-doubt all the time, whether it's people verbalizing it to us or our own sense of inadequacy, whatever that might look like. So how do you, Brian, whether it's in this specific story, which of course is where the question started, or if you want to take it a little bit bigger and broader and just talk about how do you sort of work through and push through when you believe that what you're doing is right and can succeed, in the face of opposition or doubt that you're hearing from elsewhere? Yeah. I mean, usually when I'm told I'm being crazy, usually works out to be a good thing in the end. That's what I've noticed. Uh But at first, you know, what I kind of, I guess, to simplify this, if you look at like a a tree trunk and if you look at the rings along the tree, I kind of think, you know, I've always prioritized of like that inner ring are the people that I really let speak into my life. And then there's like five rings, right? So the further you get, you know, those are people that it might be noise and it might be, you know, skeptics or critics, but for that inner ring, the closest one to me are very few. And those are the people that really I I bounce my ideas off the most and, and get feedback. And those are not only family members, but close personal friends, business peers, as well as other people in other industries. You know, I, I, you know, I'm known to be a disruptor. I'm known to be a innovator, known to go against the grain, very contrarian investor as well. But it's, you know, it's circling around with me that, people that have known me for many years and could really holes in, in, in certain things, but also lift up, you know, me up when, when it feels like 99.9% of the world's against it. Yeah. That's awesome. I think the idea of listening to your, I sort of jotted these words down as you were talking, listening to your inner ring. I almost think that might be the title of our podcast when we're done. I guess we'll see where the conversation goes, but it has a nice Please pardon the pun, a nice ring to it. Yep. But more than that, I think it really captures the essence of, you know, there's so much information out there. Um, and you could probably speak to this, Brian, not only in terms of relationships, but also just in terms of business decisions and knowing and understanding the market. You know, if you want information about real estate, you want information about growing your company, whatever it might look like, you're going to have tons of resources at your disposal just by going online and you know doing a quick google search you'll you'll find so much but one of the things that i think is really hard for people and i speak for myself first and foremost is how do you cut through the weeds how do you determine what really is most important the things you need to be listening to and the directions you need to be setting based off of that information so going just a little bit further on the same point Besides for the source of the information, meaning to say whether it's a spouse or you know a close business associate being in that inner ring like you talked about, are there any other tricks that you use in order to determine where you should really place your attention, focus, you know, who you should trust? 
And where do you sort of leave the rest of the information off on the back burner because it's just not where you need to put your limited time and resources at that particular moment? Mm-hmm. I still look at myself as a student. I believe you can always learn more. I'm always studying, studying different cultures, traveling a lot. You know, the biggest form of flattery is copying. There's a lot of people and phenomenal companies, both in real estate and out of real estate, that have done great things that maybe we can model certain aspects of it, whether it's 5%, 10%, 100% of certain items. But um, I mean, looking across the geographical spectrum and looking at what's working and what's not. In real estate, it's not simple, but it comes down to, you know, it's a fixed asset and great real estate wins. You know, real estate over time might look different as we're experiencing in the retail sector today, but it's an unbelievable opportunity to reinvent what's on top of the real estate. Sure. So let's stay with that because the idea of retail in particular, as you hinted at, is a very fluid market, at least from my perspective. I'm not, I'm not in the field, but everything that, I, sure. that I've picked up, especially because of the the role of Amazon and, and another online sellers. So I'm not looking to get very technical in terms of the challenges that that has created for your industry, but I am interested because everybody who is listening at one point or another, and certainly in the future as well, will be forced to contend with market changes, whether it's demographic changes, whether it's changes in how people shop or how people engage or you know where they go for certain uh, you know tools or references or whatever it might be. So how does a person adjust to new realities, what are some of the ingredients or some of the pieces that you've used? You talked about learning, which is fantastic, and observing and sort of copying best practices. Is there anything else you would say, Brian, that could be useful for somebody who's in somewhat of a fluid market that you know has a lot of unknowns we could sort of project, but we just don't know exactly where it's going to go? So are there any tricks that you could or any techniques that you've used that you could sort of imagine on a little bit of a broader as a non-exclusively real estate scale and and suggest to to leaders who are listening that you know when, when the market begins to shift how do you stay ahead of the curve how do you deal with it while it's happening these kinds of things yeah i mean i think i think the thing is is just innovation is everything in every industry today and not to stand flat-footed you know to kind of use a basketball analogy with john wooden said you know just never stay flat-footed always keep your always keep your feet moving and you know i think the um like almost like the childlike faith or the childlike wonder of you know leaders today is great and not to dismiss anything there's no stupid ideas to so to explore it to have a team around you that's not only you know that kind of counterbalance both the analytical and the creative side of it but always look at exploring where the future lies. I mean, I'm looking out 10 years. I'm looking out 20 years. I mean, I'm very fascinated with what happens with driverless cars, how, how that affects retail, how that affects the malls, how's that, how that affects cities. You know, That's where I'm spending a lot of time personally is five years, 10 years, 15 years out and studying different geographical areas. I was in Asia recently and walked into a, a very high-end mall there. And they had facial recognition. You know, facial recognition doesn't exist in in retail in, in the U.S. today. You know, why? I mean, you could use that demographic information in Asia to say, okay, you're, there's a 35-year-old woman that just walked into our mall, you know, 
Louis Vuitton or, or Zara, you know, how can we help and a partner with each other and, and give you some of this information? It's data and tech are absolutely disrupting. And to me, you can't turn your back towards it. You got to grab it and surround yourself with brighter people. Mm. in that space. Great answer. The The facial recognition sounds so intriguing. So yeah, I think that staying ahead of the curve is is really great and very, very important. And this idea of looking out 5, 10, 20 years like you talked about and continuing to think about the future, especially if you're in an industry, I would argue or I would think that really every industry is prone to this, but certainly those industries that tend to be very cyclical or at least, um, you know, you know, that, that tend to have, I guess you would say, uh, certain trends that define it and define as market moving forward. You really need to be forward thinking. So let's stay on the topic of forward thinking because this is a, a bit of a different question. It brings us back to the first question in a sense where we're talking about your history a little bit. Obviously, at some point you were a new leader and you know, you had, I'm going to assume, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to assume that you had your ups and downs like everybody else does. And so my question to you, Brian, is what would be a piece of advice that you would give uh, to somebody who's starting out new, who maybe knows the industry, but never really has led before? Anything in particular that you would share? Yeah, I think some words that gave that a former mentor many, many years ago gave to me as, as a, one of first times as a manager was let the game come to you. And not immediately, like observe at first, right? Listen, but also use humility. You know, you're not, don't be the loudest person in the room. Don't be, you know, the one that's, that's speaking the most, but be the one that's listening at first and use humility. You know, I, I do believe in servant leadership and, um, you know, we're all are created equal and, uh, you know, the corner office, having the corner office or a C in front of your name doesn't mean you're, you're a better person, but it means, you know, different stewardship responsibilities, if you will, for the organization. But humility is, is just something that I think is, is so important in today's corporate world of having that. And the workforce and the staff will respond greatly besides that, you know, really lowering yourself and lifting up others higher. Beautiful. That's a great answer. And I, I think there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, we can't spend you know too much time at that particular point, but a couple of things I would love to you know pick out of there if we can. Number one, you talked about listening and being humble. Uh, that's actually something that I developed um, a couple of chapters around in my book, Becoming the New Boss, because uh, as I was going through the leadership process myself and in the research that I did subsequent to that, I found that that is really something that oftentimes is missing and is so critical, you know, for success and leadership, the idea of serving others and and really trying to help others be positioned best for success. And even though I've never had the opportunity to work with you, Brian, directly in all of our conversations, and I'm going to lift the curtain just a little bit now, I've had the opportunity to get to know Brian initially through a different interview, which was for a an article post that first um, appeared in August of 2017 on Smart Brief, uh, entitled The Gift of a Leadership Perspective. And uh, I was introduced to Brian by a common friend who felt that not only was he a great leader and somebody who I could learn from, but in particular, 
somebody who really prioritizes humility and service, which leads me to, to my next question, which relates to your son, Caleb, who I've not met, but I've heard much about. Caleb is autistic, and we mentioned in the bio that Brian is on the National Board of Directors at of Autism Speaks, which is an organization, a nonprofit that supports autism and autism research. And um, it's obvious to me in all of our interactions, Brian, that you're very involved in trying to find a cure and really support Caleb in all of his uh, growth together with your wife and family. So tell us, what is it like as a leader, but also just as a regular person to have a special child like Caleb? What has it meant to you in terms of your personal and communal role, as well as in your leadership capacity? Sure. I wouldn't, I mean, in full transparency, it's it's obviously been up and down. I mean, we're He's 12 right now. He's, we have a 12-year-old and a 2-year-old. We have a little daughter named Zoe. And uh, Caleb has just been a, a great blessing, but it doesn't go without its challenges. He's been, you know, at an early age, at 18 months, diagnosed with autism. Fine motor skills challenged him. Gross motor skills challenged him. And, you know, through a bunch of interventions and therapies. He's now in a school, a private school here in Manhattan uh, for special needs, thriving. You know, but it's, it's, we take each day at a day. We're not looking a year out. We're, it's a day-to-day, uh, a plan really with my wife and I. And my wife has, you know, really dedi- has dedicated her life to him and, and helping him achieve his, his results. You know, we, you know, I was private with the diagnosis at first because I really didn't want to put a ceiling on his life and really kept um, the diagnosis private up until recently where I kind of had a coming out, if you will. And that's with the Autism Speaks and, and was chairman of the recent gala here in New York. But, you know, Caleb has taught me so much where, you know, he has um, um, giftings like I've never seen before. So at, at two years old, he has a photographic memory. And at two, where he couldn't even read or write, he memorized every single state and capital of the U.S. in a week, then proceeded to do the same thing in two days for Asia. Then the next two days did the same thing in Africa. When we moved to New York seven years ago, he memorized every single uh, subway stop in every single borough was basically my, uh, for those of you on the, like apps, my little hop stop live. So anywhere I needed to go in the city, I would ask him first um, and not even have to turn to my app. So where I'm getting at this is, you know, we shine those strengths and didn't focus on his weaknesses. You know, he might not be able to write at 12 today or still needs help with, you know, getting dressed in the morning, but we're not focusing on the weaknesses, but we're pulling out the strengths And that's really as a leader is, is I think, what we're all called to do. You know, one of my biggest, you know, I'm a deal maker at heart from an acquisitions person to leasing person where, you know, some of my greatest joys is is making that deal. You know, also some of my greatest joys is watching people flourish in positions and callings in life where people are flourishing in their lanes, and they're living in their lanes. Why? Because we're focusing on the strengths and not the weaknesses. It's pulling out the best in people that leaders really are called to do and not focusing on, the, on their weaknesses. We could surround others with different strengths. And that's what's beautiful. It's like a symphony when everything's running and, and working well and within an office organization is, you know, as managers, I mean, you just, 
you're, you're a coach, you're, you're putting people in the right seat and, you know, to give kind of a Yankees analogy, if the person that drafted Aaron judge is looking like a genius right now. And, um, it's focusing on the strengths and putting people with great power at the front of the lineup and putting people with great arms, you know, throughout spread out throughout the lineup. So I've really enjoyed seeing people flourish you know, and, and I think a lot of that part is, you know, we're a culture here of, of just really shining a light on strengths. What an awesome answer, especially with the Yankees piece. <laughs> that was even great. We could spend some time there. I could spend a lot. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So what I thought was really neat about your answer, Brian, of course, you know, first of all, sharing your story and telling us more about Caleb, that's unbelievable. All the, you know, the, the tremendous memory and, and, and connections that he was able to make at such a young age, and I'm sure continues to do. But the fact that you talked about both on a personal level uh, with Caleb and then brought it back to the workplace, the idea of positioning people to succeed, to acknowledge that we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses and to try to shine the light on strengths. I think I've got a new title for the podcast, but anyway, shining the light on uh, on strengths is a really important thing. And, you know, in my work, when I talk with, with leaders and how to optimize their teams and do like a skills gap analysis and all of this, one of the things you really need to be looking at is, you know, what are the strengths we have? Of course, how do we strengthen them further? How do we fill in whatever gaps are necessary to fill in? But at the same time, to be thinking about it, instead of trying to force everybody into a fixed position, how do we give them opportunities to be flexible and fluid in a way that's ultimately going to bring out the very best in those people? Did I hear that correctly? Yes, absolutely. That was awesome. And there's one other thing that you said that I'd like to go a little bit further with, and that is you talked about, maybe my language here, but acknowledging the realities. You talked about coming out and sharing Caleb's diagnosis. But I think that that has not only great lessons for us on a personal level, uh, but also on a professional level. You know, it's it's sometimes we've seen companies, whether it's Enron or others, that are going to kind of cover up their not so shiny, you know, realities in order to look good to the public or you know to shareholders or whatever. But I think it's really important for leaders to be honest with themselves, with their teams, and with those that they serve with what's really going on, what are our strengths, where are our challenges but also to create an empowering and motivating vision you know, to move everybody forward. And I think that really leaders do everyone a disservice, including themselves, when they're not genuinely honest with their realities. So uh, I don't know if you want to speak to that any further, Brian, but that was something that really jumped out at me as you were talking. Yeah, I mean, one of the greatest things I've had too that's happened in my life where I've had horrible managers, you know, in the past predating GGP, you know, well before GGP, where people have said, How do you learn this or that or, you know, X or Y? And I said, Listen, I'm just doing what's opposite of what's was done to me. And a lot of that was everything was positive all the time and it wasn't transparent or it wasn't lifting, you know, employees up through difficult times in the cycle and being just transparent. Everybody's very smart. And to basically say everything's rosy a hundred percent of the time, they know it's a lie. So where you could be as transparent as possible, it's a win, you know? And I really look back and look at some of the things that, you know, I've experienced throughout my tenure and some of the greatest managers in my life were the ones that were transparent, the ones that 
talked about the good, but talked about the challenges as well. Because at the end of the day, you need you need a full engine working. <laughs> you know, one piece, you know, can't one good piece that's working really well in the engine can't survive without all the other nuts and bolts. Sure. Absolutely. That's a beautiful thought. The idea of transparency, being open and, and not trying to pull something over your people. I think that was a great, uh, really great way to wrap up this part of the conversation. I have a couple of other questions before we move into our next segment that are not so much business specific, but sort of just broaden our, our conversation a little bit uh, as far as you know people you'd like to connect with and, and how your day operates and things like that. And I'd like to begin with the first question. If, if you had an hour to spend with one person, Person who you otherwise would never be able to meet. It could be somebody, a historical figure, not living any longer, or somebody around today that you just don't think you'd have typical access to. Who would it be and why? Huh, that's a couple. I have many people. Um, you know, first person that comes to mind would probably would be probably Jesus. I mean, just, you know, you think about him just from a leadership perspective. And I know Ken Blanchard wrote a book that really impacted me, Lead Like Jesus, where you know, Jesus transformed 12 ordinary, unlikely individuals into the first generation of Christian leaders. And it's launched a movement, you know, that continues to affect the course of world history, you know, some 2000 years later. And I would really would love to talk to him on like, you know, use the words, come follow me, or the sentence, come follow me, like more on just the leadership aspect of those 12 individuals. Mm. And another person too would be Elon Musk obviously a, a visionary, obviously a disruptor um, with the hyperloop. I mean, he's thinking 50 years ahead and with childlike wonder, I think he would be in today's world, just a fascinating leader that I would love to sit in a room and break bread with and pick his brain on, on more of just the thought leader piece of, of not looking at today's business, which he has a very success, obviously successful business with Tesla and others, but also looking in how he looks, you know, 50 years in advance. Got it. That's, that's an awesome answer. I'm going to shift a little bit to stay in that's in the framework of that question, going back to Jesus for just a minute, I happen to be Jewish. And so my, my connection would be a little bit different though. Certainly from a historical perspective, that was an awesome answer. And certainly the leadership piece is clear. Uh, my question, Brian, to you is because so many of our listeners are spiritual, whether they're formally religious or they just have some element of spirituality in their lives, talk us through you know, how you get your sort of spiritual connection and is there anything that you bring uh, into your work that relates to that? Yeah. I mean, my spiritual connection is I, I am active with my church. I serve on the board of elders there. You know, I do spend, you know, a lot of time daily in, in, in the word, but I also just bring in, you know, so many truths are, you know, throughout the gospel are, are something that we can apply every day, you know, where, if you even look at Jesus's life, he came to teach, lead and train, you know, and he served and he was one of the top servant leaders ever. And, um, you know, to me, I, I really look at his life and how I can apply that each and every day. And, um, you know, everybody, you know, respecting every religion out there, there's things that you can apply where any doctrine you know, will bring light, you know, it brings light into darkness. And for me, you know, the bring gospel into a corporate environment, whether it's not speaking exactly, you know, those words, uh, you know, from, from call it new Testament, right. It's speaking 
you know, it's, it's just living by practice and living by example. Yeah, that's a great answer. I was uh, actually taking a look quickly um, at my phone because I have an Audible account and I, I listen to audiobooks all the time. And recently mm-hmm. I was listening to a book called The Servant, a simple story about the true essence of leadership by James C. Hunter. Mm-hmm. And he actually elaborates in great detail through through narrative form. It's a wonderful you know, book on many levels. He talks about Jesus in particular and his leadership, but the idea of sort of having that balance of, of knowing your, your religious moorings or your spiritual connections, whatever those are, it's really important because so often I find that in business, we're so focused on you know our financials on on sort of getting the deals done and 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 really you know it can be very limiting but i think that if a person has a way to go broader and deeper in terms of purpose in terms of direction in terms of like the long term view like you alluded to even with Elon Musk i think that really helps people stay focused and it kind of gives them that spiritual nourishment that helps balance you know all of their uh, financial aspirations, et cetera. And if we don't have that, at some point, I think we have a tendency to kind of get bored with it or maybe burn out, even if we're really successful. So my feeling personally, and I don't know if you would agree with this, is that having a spiritual element to your life, something which you could refer back to, whether it's values that you take into the workplace or just a place to connect with out of work, uh, is a really important thing to give us that sense of fulfillment that we may otherwise not get just from our work, you know, in the office. No doubt. I mean, the great Vince Lombardi said, you know, in these orders, this was his priorities is faith, family, and the Green Bay Packers, you know? (laughs) The three um, Fs there with football. That's beautiful. Yeah. And Uh, so, you know, I do, you know, without the Packers, I do have similar, you know, lines of faith, family, and- um, Got it. You know, and, and work after that. Awesome. So now we're going to shift to our rapid fire segment, really short answers, lifting the curtain a little bit more to get to know Brian a little bit better. Favorite form of recreation? Favorite form of recreation would be tennis. Best part of business travel? Oh, uh, just exploring the different geographical areas and, and cultures. I don't know if you have to be politically correct in this answer, but the coolest yeah. store located on one of your properties? Uh, the coolest store located, yeah, I might have to be politically. <laughs> um, uh, you or know, at least give us give that. us a descriptor about you know what would make that store cool. Then, uh, just I, I'm a big fan of like the experiential component, and guys like uh, Lululemon or Tesla or Peloton now are doing some really neat things. Something you're not very good at, Brian. Delegating. Okay, we we should talk then. All right, so I'm gonna, I'm going to turn the mic over to you. Um, give Lead to Succeed Nation a little bit more about your work and how they could reach you if they wanted. If you wanted anyone to follow up with you and learn a little bit more about about your work, how they can connect with you, these kinds of things. Yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to. Uh, very passionate. I've been in real estate my whole career. You know, CEO of a roughly a three and a half billion dollar company today, and and growing you know, all focused on retail across the country, coast to coast. My email address is Brian with an I dot Harper at Rouse, R-O-U-S-E properties.com. Really thank you for joining and, and would be happy to connect you with you via phone or email uh, when time permits. Oh, that's awesome. And very kind of you to share your email. I don't want to overwhelm your inbox here, but as I've alluded to and and referenced throughout our conversation, not only is Brian a great businessman and certainly somebody you want to get to know if you are in real estate, but also a great person and um, 
I don't know if you feel comfortable, you know, in terms of having multiple conversations, but at least to be inspired by Brian's story and the idea that he has given back not only to his family, uh, but also to the community at large, specifically with Autism Speaks, which I know is an organization that he's very passionate about. So with that, Brian, I'm going to ask you to leave us with one final life lesson that Lead to Succeed Nation could take away from our conversation today. You know, I think a life lesson would be follow your passion. You know, passion can't be taught. It can't be faked. You know, I've been blessed enough to be in an industry where it is a blessing and a curse where, you know, my mind is always on. My mind is always thinking of, you know, value creation, um, innovation, you know, entrepreneurial ideas in every corner of of the sector. But I do believe there's a passion in each and every one of your lives and to find that. And that could be, you know, from an artist to a lawyer to a, you know, innovator of the next great tech idea. Follow your passion. It will be the best thing possible. And, you know, work to me is not a nine, you know, eight to five. It's as much a hobby as in anything. And I really just point that out and spend a lot of time actually with students here locally in New York of, of helping them find their passion. Beautiful. What a great final lesson. Thank you, Brian, for taking the time. I know how busy you are. Just getting getting this scheduled uh, is an indicator of just how much you have to deal with and juggle. And I really appreciate you finding a few minutes for me for our listeners to learn and to uh, engage with you. It's been very enlightening. And again, because we are recording this at the end of December, wishing you uh, and your family and all of your loved ones a happy and healthy season's greetings and uh, happy, healthy new year. And certainly looking forward to continuing to learn from you in the future. Great. Thank you for having me. Today's leadership quote is from Dwight D. Eisenhower. The supreme quality for leadership is unquestionably integrity. Without it, no real success is possible, no matter whether it is on a section gang, a football field, in an army, or in an office. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Becoming the New Boss on Amazon. Learn more about the book at becomingthenewboss.com. And if you already got your copy, be sure to leave a comment on Amazon. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.